Today's episode of the Andy Staples Show is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find us on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen at gotomeeting.com slash tips. That's gotomeeting.com slash tips. Hey, hey! What's wrong with y'all? Why don't we just forgive our football for a while, all right? What we need to do is get crazy. Can I get an amen? Amen. 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 We need to get wild. Yeah. 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 We need to party. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show. Andy Staples Show goes to the movies edition. That's right. It's Friday. We're all locked down. We're going to talk about a college football movie. And we, we've hit Rudy. We've hit the program. But now it's time to talk about the greatest college football movie ever made. And I think my guest will disagree with me on that. But that's okay because by the end of this, he'll be convinced. Scott Docterman, the Athletics Iowa beat writer, He's a firm believer that the program is the best college football movie ever made, but I think we're going to have him hooked on necessary roughness by the time we're done here. Scott, how you doing? I am well, Andy. How about yourself? I, I'm as as good as can be in the under the circumstances. We are. Uh, I, I have just watched the Texas State Fighting Armadillos up in the by God number one Texas Colts, and I, I got to tell you, it was ex- as exhilarating. On the seventy fourth watch, as it was the first time when I was in eighth grade. You were in eighth grade when that came out, huh? Oh my god, that's exactly right. <laughs> I think I watched that with my high school girlfriend back in like ninety one. So I felt like at that time it seemed like a great football movie, you know, like real football. And then I watched the program two years later, and I realized, okay, that's kind of like uh, the the difference between Comiskey Park in Chicago and and, and uh, Oriole Park in, in Camden Yards in Baltimore. Like there was like a definite end of the era of pre program and after program, but I'm willing to listen to your case here on Necessary Roughness after rewatching it and just to see if I can see that light that you're trying to show me here. Well, let, let me give you some, you know, obviously the detail in the program was good. They, they paid attention to the little things, although not all the little things. The program, you'll notice, James Kahn only had two assistant coaches. At least Texas State had a full complement of coach. They had coaches in the press box. They had dudes wearing headsets. One guy was wearing sweatpants. I don't know why, but they had an actual staff to go along with Ed Straight, Arrow and and Wally Rigendorf. So I, I feel like they they were ahead on that. And the the one thing that's always vexed me about necessary roughness. And we're going to get this out of the way because this is always. I felt this was was very controversial, and I don't know how I missed it on the first seventy three watchings because <laughs> my biggest question as someone who covers college football for a living and had to deal with the NCAA for various things, is how in the hell is Andre Krim eligible to play football? The man is teaching celestial mechanics. Like, and he's, I mean, it, it doesn't appear to be a TA. So what, what the heck's going on? And I did not notice this for some reason on all the watchings before, but he actually explains how he's eligible and it makes sense. So Scott Docterman, listen to this. This is Andre Krim explaining why he can play. <laughs> you know, there was an Andre Krim. Played tackle Lincoln High. I mean, 
All state big, ugly guy. <laughs> Bringing back some old memories, man. <laughs> oh, I guess you want the story now, right? All right, I was got a scholarship here to play football and major in chemistry, but coach didn't see it that way. <laughs> Hell, son, I didn't bring you in here to be no chemistry professor. And why don't you just take some basket weaving and kick some butt? Doesn't look like you dropped chemistry. Nah, I don't regret it. Got my BS in five semesters, my master's in one year, and I'm halfway to my PhD. I'm not trying to brag anything. Oh, no, no, it doesn't sound like bragging too much. Well, just a little bit. <laughs> you got a year of eligibility left, right? Well, for football, oh, get out of town. Tell me you don't miss it. I don't oh, tell don't me miss... you don't miss it. Stand oh, here and tell man. me that. All right, I missed some parts. Okay. You guys really going to try to go both ways this year? Well, that's the plan, yeah. There you have it, Scott. Five semesters as an undergrad, so that's two and a half years. He got his master's in a year, that's three and a half. You get five to play four, so they can say he redshirted. And we know he's exceptionally intelligent, so he's halfway to a PhD in a year. So he's got... He's got time. He could do this. It's a miracle. I mean, how do you get through a BS in five semesters? Uh, that that one is, especially chemistry, I just didn't quite. I, I listened to it, and I thought, are you kidding me? I took notes on it, and then you brought it back up, and I'm like, I, okay, I guess. A master's in one, uh, halfway to his Ph.D. He just, I guess I was looking at Sinbad, and I was thinking, this guy's like 30 years old in this movie. And that's that's exactly I- that's exactly the problem is Sinbad's actual age is what's throwing you off here because Sinbad is supposed to be playing a, a 23-year-old. Exactly. You're looking at, well, and, and Paul Blake, too, is uh, 34, and really in real life he's 37, but he looks like a 45-year-old Marlboro man. So you know, I've tried to suspend reality there, too. But but this one is just one that I'm like, so he's like 23 years old, and he's teaching? He's an actual professor? I mean, I was an adjunct for a year, a few years ago, and, and I don't think I've ever seen a 23-year-old professor at an actual university. So I found that one really hard to to believe but you know hey you got to suspend some reality for these movies he's uh he's hilarious as he always was back then and uh, so i guess uh, i guess i we could buy the uh, the math on this one well that's why i wanted to have you on because a lot of our colleagues at the athletic are a little bit younger and did not appreciate or would not appreciate the fact that they got sinbad and scott bacula at the height of their powers like sinbad is coming off the set of a different world scott bacula is coming off the set of quantum leap when this is going on these are mega stars at least in our little universe yeah exactly and then uh you know like i know we'll get into it later but you know the football team they compiled uh from prison was <laughs> i mean that was pretty unreal and we cannot forget uh the swimsuit model who was the kicker who was on the cover of si so many times uh for the swimsuit issue and she was at the height of her power she was right before the the cindy crawford era so uh 30 years ago nobody was bigger than kathy ireland so this movie you know and even you know, for Ozark fans out there, Jason Bateman, a young one, and in the 80s, he was a big, uh, you know, f- f- sitcom star. You know, he was in a lot of different sitcoms. He, he was on the Valerie Harper show, and then she got fired from her own show, and he essentially became the star of that show. Yeah, I think they changed it to the Hogan family, if I recall. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right. But so this was this was his kind of comeback. Jason Bateman had fallen, you know, fallen off, and and this was his comeback. And uh, I actually talked to Dwayne Davis, who played Featherstone, and for fans of the program, he played Alvin Mack. And 
he he was talking about how hilarious Jason Bateman was on the set that you knew that this guy was was destined for huge things even though he'd already been big and he kind of kind of dropped off but but they could tell all right this is this is a guy who will be able to keep going and sure sure enough he has yeah, I mean, that was only his fourth movie, you know, so he was still really young into his career. And then, yeah, I mean, now he's probably at the, you know, once the, the Tiger King phenomenon subsides a little bit, he's going to be in the most popular, uh, sh- you know, show in the country. So he's he's a great actor. And then back then it was it was a big deal. So for to look back and then one other guy I wanted to mention was was Fred Thompson, uh, you know, coming off days of Senator Thunder. Fred Thompson. Exactly. Coming off his days of thunder you know when he was the head of uh, nascar and uh he was a great character actor back then before he became a senator and and so uh as the as the president of texas state uh they couldn't have picked a better guy and and then uh, of course uh, larry miller just plays this the smarmiest dean elias that i think we could ever find uh he, later on in a movie uh called the final season and it's a, about a baseball team in iowa he plays a, a, a a reporter from the Des Moines Register and kind of carries a similar role, not quite as smarmy, but boy, he's easy to d- dislike in this movie. Well, I- I'll tell you, I-, I think he's worse than Dean Wormer in Animal House. Oh, without and question. And I think he's worse than the Dean in PCU. Yeah, yeah. Which is, is saying something. Now, he's not, he, he, he's, he's definitely not as iconic as Dean Wormer, but I, I think if you put his performance in Animal House, it would have made Animal House better. Really? You think so? I do. I do. The only the only Dean performance in, in a popular movie that I think, you know, it, it that that was different. They had Jeremy Piven as the evil dean in old school, but that mm-hmm. was just a callback to PCU. Yeah. So that that didn't that doesn't really count. But Dean Wormer and then I I'm blanking on the lady who played the Dean in PCU, but she was pretty awful too. But I feel like Dean Elias was was more scheming. Like Dean Wormer had the zero point zero scheme, but Dean Elias was one. He was trying to to get Harley Jane Kozak to go out with him, but he was also trying to torpedo the football team at the same time. So he's trying to steal the quarterback's girlfriend and destroy the team. Yeah, and uh, you know, it, it, even taking some of the uh, whatever test scores or essays or whatever they were doing in journalism 101. I don't think I ever, when I know what I was teaching, uh, I don't think we had a, a specific book to write in for that type of class. But but you know, he, he regraded them. I mean, as a as a professor, first of all, you you turn him in right away, and then to try to bring him on. Yeah, the you sidelines. can lose your accreditation for that. <laughs> exactly, and, and then to take him down to the sidelines and get mad with the security guard for not letting you on the field to, to get him kicked off. I mean, yeah, they wrote his role pretty well. I mean, I, I did. I hated him so much that you kind of go, okay, I appreciate the role and, and the way he played it just, uh, you know, he, he made a lot of academics look, <laughs> look good by comparison. All right. Speaking of academics looking bad, we have to talk about the fact that Harley Jane Kozak is a terrible journalism teacher. Now she's worked at the Washington post and apparently taught at Harvard, but when she is going over Paul Blake's first assignment, I am not impressed with with her teaching skill because I she basically she should be flunking him on this assignment. But let, let's listen to him. Let's listen to the the assessment of the first assignment. Ah, the next one is by Mr. Blake. 
For those who only read the stat sheets, Ed Gennaro's return to coaching with the Texas State Fighting Armadillos was marred by a 65 to nothing shellacking by the visiting Southwest Texas Bobcats at TSU Stadium on Saturday. That's a solid opening. Sure, he had a great view from the bench. <laughs> but this contest wasn't about one football game. It was a test of one man's ideals. The Armadillos did the school proud, and they did that man proud. Ed Gennaro. He won because they played. Okay, so it is a solid opening. Remember, this is Journalism 101. Right. The assignment is to write a news story, not a column, not not an op-ed, a news story. And so, yeah, he got the, the five W's and an H in there in the first part. So that's good. But then goes straight into editorializing. Like, Paul Blake should get an F on this assignment. Exactly. You, you, in Journalism 101, you should probably have a 30-word lead or less just to make sure that uh, uh, you know, you're getting everything as concise as possible. Word economy. And his lead was like 50 words long. So you're automatically saying, uh, cut it down, son. Let's go move that to the second graph or third one. And then the editorializing, come on, you're not writing a column yet. I mean, this isn't the, the, the Daily Armadillo or whatever paper it is. Uh, the, you know. the, Texan, the, the North Texan Tatler? The, yeah, uh, Texas the Texas State, State Tattler. Tattler. Yep, yep. So uh, you've got a that that was just kind of laughable, and for her to to not explain it, you know, to her for her to say, well, that's a solid opening, and then to be like baffled, like by his journalism prowess, was something that <laughs> I sat there and watched. I go, okay, I don't know any teacher who's ever going to go. That's amazing, right in class without trying to break it down and discuss it. So yeah, she's uh, I don't know what she was proven other than she still had a crush on old paul blake yeah that was a little little weird you know driving by the farm after after he beat her high school team and and destroyed her boyfriend's psyche but yeah it's a little 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 odd there but all right let's let's talk about the football team so this is an all walk-on football team this is loosely based on the post-death penalty SMU team, which, listen, if you saw the Houston SMU game, uh, what year was that? Was that the, fir- was the first year SMU was back? And it was the one where Houston could have gained 1,000 yards if they'd wanted to. I mean, that was basically what this team was based on. And, you know, I, I just, I always wonder, you know, how how close this is. Like, if you put a, a team of straight walk-ons into major conference play, how badly would they get beat? And and I have a little experience in this field. And I can tell you right now, if there had been a team of me playing against actual college football teams, these results weren't nearly as lopsided as they should have been. Yeah, 65 to nothing uh, against a team that Southwest, what was Southwest Texas? Was that who they played That's first? That's right. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I think that was their, their one of their bye games. It was supposed to be one of their easy ones back when they were national champs. Yeah. And and I mean, I remember vividly the SMU scandal. And and uh, so it was, uh, you know, it, it happened. I think this movie was two years after that game, which was, I want to say it was 95 to 21, uh, you know, with Andre Ware throwing, God, 700 yards or something like that it was just crazy and uh and so yeah to see a team like this try to play old school football and run the same trap play three plays in a row right off the bat i thought 
man, you've this coach is more insane and hard headed than most coaches were back then, and and most of them were. So uh, well, I, I don't well, know what he's trying to prove. <laughs> we know Ed Straight Arrow Gennaro, played by legendary that guy Hector Elizondo, yeah. uh, is hard-headed he that that's why they hired him because he's gonna follow the rules like he doesn't let them keep their cashmere jackets and uh you know he, he doesn't let although you know he does break get the bar fight thing taken care of because he knows that the the cops aren't gonna arrest the texas players yeah it seemed like uh he kind of started to soften up when he saw that dean was really gunning for him so he decided you know uh at that juncture, you know, try to protect what you have. And, of course, the the guy that made the, the movie was Wally. I thought he was fantastic. Robert uh, Loggia, I think that's how you pronounce it. That's right. Uh, yeah, he uh, he was great. And, I mean, I remember him more probably for Independence Day a few years after this. But as the as the assistant coach, I mean, who, who we all saw defensive coordinators in that era that were just the same way. And he was, he was perfect in that role, had so many iconic lines. Uh, and so I think they made a heck of a good team. And, um, and I liked it when, uh, Wally, you know, even back talked, uh, straight arrow Gennaro a few times. Oh, absolutely. Now, Robert Loggia was coming off uh, best supporting actor Oscar nomination five years earlier when he filmed this movie. And, uh, when I, when I talked to Dwayne Davis, he was talking about how intimidated he was because Robert Loggia, of course, was the the sergeant in Scarface. Mm-hmm. You know, so he he was, and and Dwayne Davis is like, I will always see him as this guy. I I can't talk to this guy. He's a legend. And it turned out they they bonded because Robert Loggia had actually taken classes at Missouri. He was trying to get a, a journalism degree at Missouri, and Dwayne Davis had played football at Missouri. And gotten a, his degree at Missouri, but Loja actually transferred and went to Northwestern to study acting after that. But they bonded over their time in Columbia, Missouri, and uh, and became buddies. So I it just Robert Loja absolutely made this movie. He is he's the best part of it. You know, every speech he gives is great. Every little one liner, and you know, he was he had come off a, a pretty good string of comedies at this point. I think he'd done Pritzi's Honor. And then, you know, he, he just he was always kind of toggled between the drama and the comedy. And so he had great comic timing, great chops, and of course gave one of the great halftime speeches of all time during the Texas game, where he has the players convinced that that straight air Gennaro is about to die, even though he just had heartburn. So let's let's listen to uh to Coach Wally and the great speech that fired up the armadillos to go upset the number one Texas Colts. All right, guys, gather around, gather around. So, we're losing 21 nothing. Did you know something? I think we got a shot at beating this team. If, like Coach Gennaro said, we develop a cohesive, Offensive strategy. Pardon me, my notes. What coverage were they in here? It's a a double-double, coach. Double-double. Yeah, well, it doesn't matter. Mackenzie! Mackenzie, you're cutting off your outside route. You cut inside for the dump-off, right? Got it. And linemen! Linemen, come on now. You gotta give Blake at least four seconds to throw the football. Don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Now! 
Let's analyze what's been working for us. <clears throat> Not a thing's been working for us. Like this suit doesn't work for me. And this stinking tie. And this shirt. It doesn't work for me. You know how to play winning hard-nosed footballs. You play football like Engineer played football. A guy who gave his life for this football team. He was a 140-pound halfback, and he played like a wild man. No, like a damn rampaging beast. And that's the way you're gonna do it. You go out there, you tear your heads off, and you down their necks. Let us pray. Let us pray kills me every time. <laughs> yes. And 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 then because you know I saw this in eighth grade, so all through high school and everything. Every time we did the pregame prayer, I could only think of Wally Riggendorf. <laughs> I'm glad that tearing off was heads. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got this guy in this epic moment, and then let us pray. You know, like uh, praise the Lord and pass the soup. You know, after a big fight at Thanksgiving dinner. You know. <laughs> It was it was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. It is the funniest moment in the movie. It is perfect. And, and that's the thing. Robert Loja was such a good actor. But this was a good cast. I mean, the, these guys could hang for the most part with a with an actor the level of Robert Loja. And I think that helped a lot. Now, there were some people I didn't think hung quite as well. The guy they had playing uh, Flat Top from Texas. You know, his, his line reading when they are trash talking before the bar fight i think wooden would be the way to describe it now i looked him up he's actually selling insurance now that he, makes sense. He, he was in like six movies this is one of his first ones he was a, a former football player and i think that's they, they grabbed him because he he looked and moved like a real football player so he could do the football scenes in the game against texas but unfortunately i think it, it made him less of a villain uh this is where i give a shout out to one of my uh one of my former teammates in Another college football movie. Uh, if you've seen The Waterboy, Scott, you know the defensive end from the the bad guy team from Cletus. Uh, I, I call him Cletus from the from the from the smoke from smoking the bandit, but um, <laughs> from Jerry Reed's team, the the team he coaches. So Meanie is the character's name. Todd Holland is the actor's name. Todd was a walk on at Florida, same time I was. And he and and some other players were casting the Waterboy, but Todd wound up getting a, a big role, and then wound up being in a bunch of different Adam Sandler movies. But he was he was great at reading his lines and and doing that part of it. This guy was like, "Why don't we stick a tap in that fat Buddha yeah. like a keg?" <laughs> like that just it just didn't do it for me, which is why I'm glad that that Manu Manu kills him in the final game final scene. Because let, let's be honest. Manu Manu, the slender, kills Flat Top on the last play. He 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 literally murders him on the field. It was a great block, and I I could not agree with you more about Flat Top. I I don't I think his name is Harlan Myers is what they released it as. But what who would have been great back then might have been Brian Bosworth playing that role. Oh, he'd been perfect, and he was he was going into acting at that point. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I, it, it, but but let's let's talk about that final block because he knocks his face mask off. And if you've never held a football helmet before, like those things are screwed in in, in multiple places. Like it would be Im- almost impossible. But knocks his face mask off and then there is just dark black blood coming out of his mouth 
in massive quad. He's dead. Like flat top <laughs> is dead. What a great hit. And, uh, <laughs> but, you know, I don't know. I'm getting, I'm struggling with that whole game, but I love that hit. That was, uh, that was just perfect. And then to make the, the most poignant moment that I think everybody kind of overlooked was the guy who caught the two point conversion was Charlie Bates. The only one who survived the purge from the year before the walk on. That's right. The walk on, but it had, he had to wear number 88 because that matched the number on the scarecrow in Scott Bakula's field that he threw to when he when he got pangs of of nostalgia about football. Yeah, I mean, he was like uh, Uncle Rico, you know, about ten years before Napoleon Dynamite, you know, out there. He's just missing the the video camera. <laughs> exactly, I throw football over to mountains, but no, it, it was it was wonderful that they did get to win. But you know, before you win, you have to tie. I think I think that's a rule that's written somewhere. You know, their first taste of quasi success is against Kansas in the rain. And the star of the game is Lucy Draper. And that, I OK, so you were in high school now. you saw it with your high school girlfriend. So you probably couldn't admit this at the time. But I will I will fully admit it because I was in eighth grade. I, I did not I had not had a girlfriend at, at that point yet. I went to this movie because Kathy Ireland was in it. That is the only reason I went to this movie. You're right. That was the that was the only reason why I cared to go see it. Other than the football, yes, I was interested in that. But Kathy Ireland, I mean, you just, I don't know. Which in today's era, she's probably like what a Kardashian, a Jenner. I mean, if if we had Instagram thirty years ago, Kathy Ireland would have been the you know fifty million you know people following her on Instagram. She was out of this world. Now she's not the best actress in the world. I think that she proved it in this game in this uh, movie, but. She was she was something special. And then, you know, I was kind of wondering, you know, the gratuitous scene of her in the shower. And I'm not walking across campus just to shower and <laughs> doing it in the locker room with uh, all of her male teammates, especially in that era. It, but it was more gratuitous for the guys. The, the, they showed a lot more of the guys that they showed of her, because I do remember, you know, my friends from eighth grade who saw it before me. There's a shower scene with Kathy Iron. <laughs> well, there's Kathy Ireland's arm in the shower. It's not really a shower scene with Kathy Ireland, but she d- she does. I, I she you know makes a, re- a reasonably effective kicker. I mean, she she looks like a very effective kicker and did some training for that role. It appears. Yeah, she did. She she looked the part when she you know stroked the ball. You know, now I don't know if she's the one that kicks it over the goalpost, but but I do think uh, you know her approach looked okay. She looked like she was ready to, to do the job. It was just kind of the acting part of it. You know, I, I thought it was kind of funny was uh, when Manu just struggled snapping the ball because he was overcome with emotion for her. And uh, then she just kind of says, come on, big yeah. guy, you've already got yeah. the job. And she says it in kind of the sweetheart fashion that um, seemed really nervous. So I, and I was like trying to interpret it as, I guess I could kind of see it in that tone from somebody like that, you know, that she's the one that's nervous, not him. Yeah, Peter Navy Tuiasasopo, who played Manu Mano, he's the one who carried most of the scenes she was in and uh, and obviously carried Paul Blake to victory by blocking flat top. So let but let's let's watch Kathy Ireland's ultimate scene. This is when she kicks the game tying field goal against Kansas and then uh and throws in one more kick for good measure. Oh, 
Lucy Draper is the first woman football player in Armadillo history. You all right? Field goal. On the snap. Ready? Break. Blake will spot the ball for a 34-yard try. Do it. All right, Miss, let's go. Come on, kid. Hey, Sugar! Don't get nervous! Is that the only way you can score? Shut up! Or you won't anger me! Yeah. Clock stopped with just three seconds left. There's time for just one last play. Welcome to football. Kansas should have been the guy playing flat top. Yes, absolutely. He was much more interesting in this only couple of lines there. Uh, he just, he was fun. I mean, it was at- is that the only way you can score? <laughs> it's Kathy Ireland, dude. Exactly. I don't think that's the only way. I think she can score any way she wanted to, but, <laughs> but you think about it. Kansas was what the only university that actually allowed them to use uh, their, their name, image and likeness here. That, that was kind of interesting to me. And they tied, they tied this, you know, team of, of nobody. So I, I wonder what the University of Kansas got for this. I mean, did they get like, you know, $500? Because <laughs> at the time in the Big A, yeah, lot, you know. Lots of Jayhawks on the big screen. Now, they probably said you can't beat us. Yeah. So you it has to be a tie. Isn't that what Michigan did, I want to say, in the uh, uh, the program? In the program. Yeah. They, Michigan said you, you can't, you, we have to win the game. Yeah. We can't lose to you. Mississippi State and Georgia Tech were okay with it, though. Yeah, they got beat, right? I know Mississippi State. They got, well, Georgia Tech beat Eastern State the previous season in the first scene of the game. Okay. Or first scene of the movie. And then, so Georgia Tech goes 1-1 one and one against them in the movie. Mississippi State goes 0-1, oh though. They they were they just let them lose. So, But Michigan said, no, 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 we have to win. And then Iowa, you know, overpowers uh, Thigpen, the running back. Kind of reminds me of Mark Wiseman. <laughs> Runs over uh, Latimer, <laughs> Latimer right. right at the goal line into the end zone. And right after uh, one of my favorite characters, Alvin Mack, got smoked. But in this movie, Featherstone... Uh, after watching him in the program, Dwayne Davis in the program, and then trying to watch him play Featherstone, I'm like, maybe he should have been flat top, you know, and just kind of rewrote the well, character. Well, that's right. They they didn't they didn't give him enough to do because Dwayne Davis is a lot better actor than he comes off as in this movie because he just they don't give him any lines. I mean, the ones he has are really good, but he just he does not get a whole lot to do relative to the program where he is sort of the heart and soul of the movie. And no, he, he did it. He does a great what range to play a receiver who can't catch and then play the best linebacker in the country. Exactly. You know, he was like that. Who is the Florida state linebacker? I kept envisioning him as Marvin Jones. Is that De- right? Derek Brooks? OK, I think I think Derek Brooks would probably be the more uh, the, the closer parallel. Uh, but yeah, he was he was great in both these movies. It's just I don't think they knew what they had in him. Now, the guy who played Latimer 
Andy Bynarski also is in Necessary Roughness. He's Wyatt Beaudry. He's the uh, the, the cowboy, the, the rodeo guy. Yeah, yeah. So and he was uh, he he actually had the first paper there in the uh, but right before Paul Blake's. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The lead's all about the guy who finished eighth, which is oh yeah, him. Yeah, exactly. But st- Stonehead, well, Featherstone has a line in that one where he, he must have enjoyed it from the bench because remember Paul Blake got benched in the uh, in the first game. But let's let's talk about about Featherstone because he does come around. He you know he comes up with a mantra that works and against Texas, then he finally does break through, and so here he is breaking through. Round right, twenty two oh, trap man. They've seen the game films. They know you're never going to go to me, and I'm wide open. I'll catch it. It is now. Big play. Big play. Go. Go. Make it work. Make it work. Ball is my friend. Ball is my friend. Featherstones off to the races. Don't throw the stone He's wide open. Well, that's nothing new. Can he catch the ball? He caught it! Oh my God! Featherstone caught the ball! It's a touchdown! It's 21-13! That's right. Featherstone caught the ball. And the one thing we have not talked about yet, Scott, is Rob Schneider as the Greek chorus, essentially, in this film. And that's probably the only time the, the words Rob Schneider and Greek chorus are going to be used in the same sentence. But that that's really what he is for this movie. Yeah, he just, you know, and that is a little fumble, fumble ruski, you know, which, of course, led him to this, you know, career in the 90s on SNL, which was making copies. I, I don't which of those came first. Was he already doing the making copies thing before that, or did this inspire that? Good call. Good question. I think it was after this movie because he was still kind of a nobody when this one came out. But, uh, of course, his character, whenever he did that, drove me up the wall. I hated it. But, you know, but, yeah, he was uh, he was pretty good throughout providing that kind of background. But, you know, what was funny was when you talk about Featherstone was uh, right in that kind of that crux of the movie when Paul quits, Edison goes with him. Um, you know, we, they were listening to the station in the car, and I, you know, and, and Edison just turns and says, "I hate that station. My dad owns it," and he turns it off, and and then uh, Paul tries to say, "You can't walk away," and he's like, "Well, you did," and they turn around, and then Featherstone's sitting at practice, and he's juggling that ball, and he's saying, you know, chanting, "The ball is my friend," and then of course he does that going up to the line of scrimmage here, but I thought with somebody either uh, Gennaro or with Wally would. They have moved him to D back instead or running back as he seemed, you know, he's obviously a great athlete. They needed athletes. Why do they keep putting him at wide receiver if he can't catch the ball? I mean, you'd rather have somebody slow who can catch than somebody who's fast and can run a 13 under it, 13 flat in the in the hurdles. Why put him out there if he can't catch? I think you've you've hit upon one of the deficiencies in Ed Strato Gennaro as a tactician. I think if Wally Rigendorf had been the head coach. And, you know, and, and look, he could have been a head coach at that high school in London. If he'd been the head coach, 
he would have done that. He would have moved the pieces where they needed to be. But Straight Arrow Gennaro is hard-headed. We learned that. Remember, he tries to call the same sweep three times in a row in the first game when it's not working. So he's just, he, he follows the rules, but he, he's not very imaginative. I think we've learned that Wally Rigendorf is the much better coach. Without a doubt. I mean, Brown right 22 trap, and they didn't block it even anywhere near a right the first couple of times. I mean, the two guards ran into each other. Uh, just because they might be able to block it better the third time doesn't mean it's a winning play. you got to give your quarterback uh, a chance to audible, don't you? And I mean, been even in any level of college football, and he audibled to a pass. It should have been caught, and then he benches him for the entire game, and they lose 65 to nothing. What kind of confidence well, is that? especially when you're your quarterback's 40. You got to give him the chance. to he's, he's seen it all, man. And now that that running play, the round right 22 trap does come back at the end in the Texas game. That is the play they run because Blake knows it's going to get tackled over the sideline and it wipes out Dean Elias and all the, the graded <laughs> exams go flying. And that's when Senator, well, future Senator Fred Thompson turns to him and says, and you're fired. Yeah. One of the great lines of the movie because that everybody, I think everybody probably cheered when they heard that one at the time. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, it shows you just how good that Dean Elias played that role. He was so hated. But uh, I would have liked to have seen Fred Thompson have a little bit bigger role, too, just because he, carry, he carried it so well. And, and he did in other movies, too. It just seems like he could be that thunderous leader type. I wish he would have had more roles. Well, and the thing is, he, he says early in the movie that Dean Elias is in charge of all the academics and he can't interfere. Yet he could just fire him at the end because he's not doing what he wants. So I, it, 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 not everything was, was completely buttoned up in this movie. But you know what matters, Scott, to me? That I have finally s- solved and understand why Andre Krim was eligible. That has vexed me for years, and I don't know why I wasn't paying attention to that part before, but it it makes this whole exercise worth it, because now I don't have to lose sleep at night wondering why Sinbad was allowed to play. That's a good call, and I think I'm there with you, because I kept I just had a hard time getting over the fact that Sinbad was whatever, 30 years old or whatever it was back then, that he's not this 23-year-old professor that they're trying to turn him into be. And, and now, 30 years later, roughly, I look at him and I thought immediately, Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, that's Neil deGrasse Tyson. You know, he'd be playing a perfect So I, I think we know that Neil deGrasse Tyson built his entire persona off of Andre Krim. Yes. Off of Professor Andre Krim. I think so. I think he just, uh, you know, he could call himself uh, Dr. Krim at this point. <laughs> well, Scott, it has been a pleasure. I am so glad I got to walk down memory lane with this movie with you because you fully appreciate the mega stardom of Scott Bakula and Sinbad at the time. This was a beautiful moment. Now, have I convinced you that this is the greatest college football movie ever made? Oh, you know what? If you take out the uh, welcome to the jungle scene with the Oklahoma drills and the bull in the ring, which uh, have been outlawed for years now, but of course I lovingly participated in back in the 80s and 90s. If you take that scene out, I'm almost there with you, but that scene just, uh, I, I, you know, my 46 year old body still thinks it could go out and do that <laughs> just from listening to that scene. And so the, the, program. the program practice montage puts it over the top. All right. I, I, I can respect that. It's wrong, 
but I can respect. <laughs> gotcha. But here we got a team here. Texas State did, didn't really exist then. It does now, uh, but it wore North Texas colors. But it, the the emblem was like Texas A and M. So it was just uh, it was really fascinating. And I, I think one of the great lines we skipped over is uh, uh, what was it Wally who said pretty much in the very beginning that we were we went from the Cotton Bowl to the Dust Bowl. <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's beautiful. Now I, I'm going to call. Jake Spavadol, who's the head coach at Texas State, they got to change their name from the Bobcats and change their colors. Yeah. Like, they need to be the Texas State fighting armadillos. Why would you not be that when you have the opportunity to be that? You know what would be perfect is if they did like a throwback game and they played like Southwest Texas State or somebody else or or another team. They brought them on campus at, you know, and had a throwback game as the Armadillos. And you tried to get all these guys or as many of them as possible to come there and have Rob Schneider do the, the play-by-play. That's what Texas State should definitely do. Oh, that's beautiful. Now, can can we get the Texas State Penitentiary team? Because we, we haven't talked about that yet, but we, we do need to discuss this. Was this the most loaded football team of all time? Oh, man, especially in that era. I mean, you look at, you know, you had Jim Kelly, who in 1991, well, MFL MVP uh, with the K-Gun for the Buffalo Bills. You had... Um, Jerry Rice, the greatest player of all time, or at least in the last 50 years. Uh, Tony Dorsett, and, and you can't tell me that any, any of those players could have tackled Tony Dorsett or Earl Campbell. <laughs> they had Dick Butkus. And, and Ben Davidson, who was just phenomenal uh, when, when he's asked what he in for. And he says, computer fraud. Computer fraud. <laughs> Randy That's White. So good. Randy White, the Manster. I think Evander Holyfield was in there too. He he was. He's the one I said he think I think I swallowed a finger, and I believe that it was a few years later that Mike Tyson chomped on his ear. Right. <laughs> there is some irony here with that. <laughs> so this movie predicted the future too. <laughs> Come on, Scott. Greatest college football movie ever made. I'm telling you right now. Oh man, this is you're getting me turned here. I'm just I'm like fingernails on the edge going I still like the program. I still like the program, but man, this is it's hard to turn this one down. Well, I tell you what, Scott, thank you so much for doing this, but you are gonna love our when this series continues next week, we go away from the movie rewatch. My interview with Dwayne Davis, with Featherstone, with Alvin Mack who's also the father of Wyatt Davis, the best offensive lineman at Ohio State right now. So it's a it's going to be a fun one. Everybody's going to love it. And if you if you loved talking about the program last week, talking about necessary roughness this week, tune in next week for Dwayne Davis because he is hysterical. I can only imagine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you on Monday. 